I said good day, sir. You don't ever plan anything around the eagles because the eagles represent the grace of God. Okay. You heathen bastards. What a vanilla nebbish name. Well, you know, orcs are people too. I'm thinking of that one cult that got taken out with one punch. So he's got a wall, okay. a gall, a gall, and a wall. Every time you mention the eagles, I think Don Henley. <laughs> A geek history of time where we connect nerdery to the real world my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history and well yeah on two different levels world history uh teacher here in northern california with a side order of english and uh the biggest news that i have to share with everybody is uh damien can see it right now uh if if he looks but uh, all of the rest of you will just have to take my word for it. I am broadcasting uh, to you this evening from the office of my house, which we have finally gotten to a place where I can set up my recording equipment in it, uh, which is useful uh, because my son has started uh, deciding that he wants to uh, go to sleep with his bedroom door open, which means if I was out in the living room right now, we would be consistently interrupted uh, because I'm making noise and he's not totally asleep yet. So this is a step forward for a number of reasons, and I'm very excited about it. And Damien, I, well, I just gave it away, but normally I ask here, who the heck are you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin and drama teacher here in Northern California. Um, and uh, I can just hear your wife's voice telling your son to go to sleep uh, in the background, like in the background in my head, in the mm -hmm. movie that's playing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I know that voice well. Uh, but uh, I'm Damien Harmony, as I said. Uh, I actually, let's see, my my daughter made two different spicy chicken meals, neither of which she liked, but I loved. Um, and so, how, how did your son? I know, I know, your mm -hmm. son wasn't fond of the first one. What did he think of the second one? Too spicy. I mean, he thinks oh, that yeah. apple cider is too spicy. So, I forgot. Right? Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> But and then my son also made uh, he made uh, cookies that you don't cook. Um, so essentially refrigerated dough, Avatar Day cookies, and they were yummy. But uh, we had okay. some trouble forming them. So it's it's a recipe we'll come back to. Okay. Uh, he told me before going off to his mom's house for the week, uh, or for, for her half of the week, uh, that he hoped to come back and make the lobster corn dogs from the Marvel cookbook. So. I'm going to be poor uh, for the next little while until I can get him out of the Tony Stark section of the goddamn cookbook. I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of a lobster corn dog. Take a hot dog. Yeah. Stick a stick a tongue depressor in it um, right. and then coat the hot dog in essentially. You remember when he made the fish balls the other day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do okay. the same thing to lobster and then coat the hot dog in that and then dip that in batter and then deep fry that. I eagerly await a report of how that turns out because that could be awesome and that could uh -huh. be haunting. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to like it either way because there's like more than three flavors. Okay. But he still and, and that's the cool thing about it is that he always wants to try to make a thing and uh, he hardly ever likes it. So I get most of it. So, OK, well, there you go. 
Also, Final Harvest, uh, as of the release of this recording, Final Harvest happened a while ago when I let the kids in on the fact that, in fact, donuts don't grow from the ground. But in real time, uh, tomorrow is the Final Harvest, and they have both started getting wise to the idea. So it will be the Final Harvest and the celebration of the magic that we had for four years. Right. So that'll be that'll be fun. Uh, there'll be cream-filled donuts growing out of the ground. So Very cool. Yes. Now, we actually have two fun things. Number one, uh, producer George is silently in the background. Uh, go ahead and wave, George. Thank you. Uh, and uh, also, we have a guest tonight. Uh, yeah. And, Very and excited about this. And I've, I've been stoked about this. This, this guest required homework. Uh, so I read an entire book, um, but I will let them uh, introduce said book because it's theirs. Um, but, uh, the guests wanted me to let everyone know that they don't work for a living at all, uh, and that they walk their dog. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> but, uh, our guest has more books behind her than I do, uh, a fact for which I'm both impressed and jealous. Um, she plays D and D she has a dog, um, and has lots and lots of books. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our guest this week is Bryn Tannehill, uh, author and, uh, all around great person. Bryn, say hi. Hey. Hey. Good evening. How you doing? Doing good. Good. What's All things considered. Yeah, well, there's that. What you got going on that's light and fluffy in your life? So, um, I ran a campaign or started a campaign for my son and his friends. They're 11, 12, 6th oh, graders. Wonderful. Uh, and it's um, oh gosh, what's the one? Dra Dragons of Ice Spire Peak. Because I'm okay. sick of running Lost Minds of Fandelver because I've run like three sets of beginners through it and I'm ready to shoot myself. Nice. Um, nice. And but no, that, that's not the fun part. The fun mm. part is where like I'm finally getting them to like introduce their characters because you know it's a tavern, right? Because uh -huh. that's where you start. You, you got to introduce trope. them to the tropes yeah. early, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, n none of this highfalutin, you know, uh, critical role stuff. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm just trying to get these kids to be able to describe their characters and how they see them. And so my son's friend, best friend, Grace, who's abs who's very nice, but absolutely as ADHD as he is. Mm -hmm. And I said, OK, so the other characters walk in and they see your character sitting at the tavern, sipping a glass of wine. What do they see? How do they see her? And she says, well, she has dark purple skin and she has a haircut like those guys on the cover of Rubble, Rubber Soul. And I just kind of like had to bite my finger because like <laughs> that was the last response I expected from an 11 year old awesome. knowing what the cover of an album from uh -huh. 19 freaking 67 looked like. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, I, I, that's I, I an have... inspiration point right there. Yeah, that's good. I, I have to I have to wrap my head around the fact that the description would be haircuts like the guys on the cover of Rubber Soul, right? Not the Beatles, <laughs> right? But like, like right? I would expect that from a kid who doesn't know a hundred percent of English, who might be only knows like ninety five percent. Yeah, like a Swedish kid, I would expect wouldn't do well, but a Norwegian would. No, her dad's in the Navy. <laughs> oh. Fucking, you okay there? Good night, sir. <laughs> that, one, uh, that one makes me mad. Oh, legitimately makes me angry. Uh, 
So I just thought it was funny and cute. But. Yeah, see? well, yeah, see? no, it is. It's it's awesome. So I, I just have I just have one question to ask. You're you're, mm. you're running them through uh, Dragons of Ice Spire Peak. What mm-hmm. what edition are you using? Fifth. Okay. Cool. Because I mean, you any, know, any... I'm what kind of merciless bastard would put kids through fourth? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you kids adults you know what that's that's like that dungeon in san francisco if you sign the the non-disclosure agreement if you sign the consent forms fine you can play fourth uh but but kids no they got it you got to give them fifth yeah any any answer would have would have been you know fine obviously but i just i was curious because edition wars have been something we've talked about previously that is true that is very so relevant to the interests of the podcast but yeah so cool. Yeah. Very cool. Like, That's a lot of fun. Third and a half is like a cross between the game memory <laughs> and a, a math quiz. Yeah. Which was that a damn is... sight better than two. <laughs> like, keep in mind, it was an improvement. There are fans of this podcast who are going to label you a heretic. And that's for saying that about that's second. fine. I'm they know saying, where to email us. I know they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. but but that description of three point five is one of the best I've ever heard. Yeah. I'm just going to say. However, you left out the part where it required a library the size of the one behind you, <laughs> in order to play the whole game. No that kidding. Was, that's that's the one the one thing about three point five that you left out of that description. Yeah. Um. Actually, I've got a shelf that you can't see that is about yay wide which i'm gesturing with my hands about mm-hmm. two and a half to three feet wide that is nothing but third and a half edition books mm-hmm. so. yep. <laughs> yep that's yep and you're not even clearly from that description i can tell you're not a completionist because then you need at least three of those shelves <laughs> well because that was an open gaming license thing too like well i'm just i'm just talking about the books that wizards of the coast put out oh yeah yeah they like their their revenue their revenue model changed from we're going to put out the game and we're going to publish modules Mm -hmm. to we're going to put out the game, and then we're going to put out new rules and feats, and then we're going to put out some more new rules and feats, and then we're going to create a new setting. Then we're going to put out rules and feats, some of which duplicate feats Mm -hmm. from other books we've already published, but we're going to rename them. Right. And we're going to put them in a new book. Right. And it it turned into, you know, splat book uh, 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 tribble. Yeah, games, it it, you know, it did so. what uh honestly what fantasy flight games did with X-Wing was, you know, the game is called X-Wing. So frankly, an X-Wing should be able to handle everything that you throw at it. Now, there might be different strategies and whatnot, but an X-Wing should be able to handle it. It's the name of the game. But with every new iteration of things that came out and new rules that came out and new things that made the X-Wing basic. I mean, and I mean basic. Um and uh, it ended up being like you had to know all these different expansion set rules. It was, it was a bummer. So yeah. and and three five certainly did that. But you know yeah. it was the Halcyon post nine eleven days. Uh, so so speaking <laughs> yes. of books though, uh, yes. Bryn, you are the only person in this uh, in this uh, Zoom call who's actually written one. Uh, would would you like to avail us of said title, or would you like me to do that? So the title of the book is American Fascism, How the GOP is Subverting Democracy. Um, And you can kind of see it being held up there. Um, And I wrote it over a period of four years, and it started off, uh, the genesis of it was the week after 
the election of Donald Trump and I rec- when I recognized things had taken an extremely dark turn that most Americans did not appreciate just how ugly this was and what it meant. Cool. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds cheerful. That sounds like a fun <laughs> book to write. So my wife, wife says that my book should come with a free prescription for Wellbutrin Mm-hmm. And a court order to have all the guns removed from your house. I I will second that, having read it all the way through, including the acknowledgement of thank you, wife, and sorry. Um, but I'm <laughs> Damien phrasing, of course. Yeah. Uh, but uh, afterwards, I started legitimately and purposely looking for uh, other countries to expatriate to once my children are old enough to decide to come with. Uh, and I found one. Um, and I, I, I have a fun story about uh, that little journey. Perhaps I'll tell uh, uh, next week's episode. Uh, but uh, I, I do think I'm legitimately going to expatriate in about 12 to 15 years. And I'm just hoping that the country will do as Wilson Phillips advised us to do um, for another 15 years. So hold on. Hold on. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, my, sure. my time horizon is about three. Shit. Well, I, we're all going to need to pitch in here, people, because my kids are not old enough. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so well, you're you're a white guy with a beard, so I think you're probably going to be, you know, your survivability factor is a little bit higher, and you know, in very the Republic of Gilead, yeah, true. Now, now, what it really means is that I I get set up with my own podcast. That's part of the starter kit. Uh, but my white face with a beard has also been plastered from here to the UK and back again as, as an agitator. So, uh, not, (laughs) yeah, uh, I've, I've, I've come down a little, so yeah, we, we, we work in education, so we're, we're not, we're not white at the, at the bottom of the, of the hit list. Right. (laughs) So, all right. So I have some questions about your book and I was hoping that you would uh, indulge us on uh, questions and observations about what we've read. If that's, if that's okay. Absolutely. Wonderful. Cause I mean, the title is, is one hell of a thesis. Um, And and I do love the 1800s title approach, the, um, I'm going to tell you everything that is uh, this book is about by its cover so that, in fact, people could judge a book by its cover. Um, so I like that. But I have to ask you, I, I am an historian. Uh, I have a master's degree in history. Uh, I've got my undergrad in history as well. And I've got to ask you as an historian, why on earth did you choose endnotes? Um, I mean, couldn't couldn't give me footnotes, really? Is that I? You know, the problem with footnotes when you smalls. footnote everything yeah. is that I did my first book, uh-huh. which has about the same number of footnotes and endnotes, is that typically the footnotes were taking up anywhere between a third to half the page. I don't see the problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a little bit visually distracting. Um, I think it was more aesthetics oh, than, than, than catering to people who actually want to check that I, you know, <laughs> cited everything, which I did. If you want a funny story. Yeah. Um, when I did my uh, undergraduate work, mm-hmm. my uh, thesis advisor, um, you know, took me aside at the beginning of it. And it was a thesis on genocide and regime collapse. Oh. Um Eerie. and and forecasting it 
Um, you just don't want to have a good, happy life outside of no, anything no, you do, no. Do you? I'm, I'm happiest when I'm miserable and making everyone else miserable. Um, now I was writing your this name about Cassandra. Other... <laughs> no, but it was my moniker on Twitter for a very long time. There you go. Um, All right. And yeah. he, he took me aside and said, you know, this is not high school. This isn't college. You will cite everything. You'll track it to the original source. If you don't footnote everything, if you don't cite everything, I will put you up on academic charges and have you expelled. Do you understand Ooh, me? Yeah. Right. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. I will cite everything, everything. Right. And my bibliography in my, um, in my, in my, um, postgraduate work ran for like 35 pages. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the end of it, he said, you know, how I told you to cite everything. I'm like, <laughs> uh, yes, do yes, doctor. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I never, ever said that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Malicious compliance is our friend. I, I have a similar story, uh, although uh, not post postgrad. Well, I, I guess, well, my master's degree, so I don't know what we call that. But uh, I was in a historiography class and the uh, professor said, OK, I want you to compare like, you know, the five, you know, I want you to compare the seminal books on this particular subject. So we were looking at the Annalists or something like that. Um, I said, OK. And then she looked right across the table from me and she said, Damien, no more than seven books for this three page paper. And I was like, but, but I was going to talk about agriculture and, and, and how like it, it grew sideways and I need, I need a site for sore rise. And the oh. rest of it was true. Yeah. So, Oh, <laughs> I think you're... you get nothing. <laughs> nothing. Okay. So, so I do, I actually do want to uh, circle back around to serious questions now. Yeah. Uh, first, actually, though, in the news, uh, there's been a lot of stuff. So I hope you don't mind us segueing into that and maybe as an entry level into an entry point into your book. Um, so Texas and Florida uh, both are just going all in on um, being evil and shitty um, like you do. And they specifically have a couple of anti-trans, uh, anti-gay bills uh, that uh, the governors are talking about signing. And I'm just wondering, based on your book, which is essentially on fascism, um, how does that fit in with the paradigm that you've set forth about America? I mean, is that are they jumping the gun or is that one of the the this is on brand and it's right in rhythm for what they're trying to do? on brand, completely symptomatic, and completely fits with the historical characteristics of fascism. So my book, uh, my first book, um, mostly delved into trans issues, a little bit on to, into LGBT stuff. Um, but I wanted to make my second book have a broader audience. Mm. Um, you know, so, it, you know, how do you make a, you know, cis white person care about on, on rushing fascism, right? Um, that's actually tougher than you'd think. Um no, I can see and, how it would be pretty tough. Yeah, gonna gonna admit, I yeah, but but I understand what you're saying. I, I don't mean you know. To, sorry. And yeah. no, I actually wrote an article addressing that by by some some guy that's in the same school of liberalism as as Glenn Greenwald. He's like, well, why should we care? Like, well, okay, here's an article, and that came out after I published the book. But 
what we're seeing in Texas is part of fascism's need for an us versus them, for their history, a need for a history of the Herrenvolk versus the corrupt cosmopolitan elites. They need enemies that are simultaneously powerful, powerful, dangerous, existential threats, and at the same time, weak, pathetic, and disgusting that can be defeated if the Herrenvolk just sees power and use it like it should be used, right? And, you know, the, the, when you look at, and, you know, I hate to go back, keep going back to Germany, but unfortunately that's where so much of my academic work lies. Um, They're also the trope codifiers. <laughs> Did I do so it right? Ed? You. Yeah. Thank I am you. So proud of you for using that term that way. But Good they, work. I mean, they set the brand, like, like if you want, you know, a how to, we look at them, right? Like Spain had different aspects. Italy had different aspects. Hungary has different aspects. America has, but Germany is, I mean, that's, that is the codifier. That is. They're, they're the need, defining brand. Yeah. You need an enemy of the state mm -hmm. that is somebody who meets all of these criteria that you can blame society's ills on or state that if we don't do something about these people, they will destroy society. Mm -hmm. And the kinds of language that it, the you see Tucker Carlson and Jordan Peterson and S Steve Bannon and uh, you see, also see uh, Steve Miller, um, say, yeah. right? You know, all of these all of these high-ranking Republicans talk about trans people in a way that suggests that if something isn't done about trans people that the, they're either a symptom of the collapse of Western society or the cause mm -hmm. that they will be the end of not just Western America, not just Western civilization, but the end of humanity. Right. And it surrounds. And what's really striking to me is the narrative, one of the narratives that's be become sort of this conspiracy theory that's starting to, that's gotten airtime on Tucker Carlson and elsewhere in media is that, Trans people are part of this cabal of our, that there's this cabal of Jewish billionaires, some of whom are transgender, who are pouring money into this movement in order to promote transhumanism, right? right. That will destroy humanity, which, and as part of that, they're stealing and sexually mutilating uh, and killing children, right? And when you look at this narrative being promoted, you mm -hmm. know, at major right-wing outlets, it's tough to say how this is any different from the protocols of the elders of Zion. And if you say. know the name of that, mm -hmm. then you understand why that should be like a, whoa, let's, 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 let's stop the rush on trans people here. <clears throat> but all of this, what we're seeing in Texas, what we're seeing in Florida and Idaho is... Oklahoma. Yeah. And Oklahoma is when they say make America great again, they mm -hmm. envision America that is pre Roe versus Wade, mm -hmm. pre Obergefell, pre uh, Brown versus Board of Education, uh, pre Civil Rights Act, pre Newman v. Piggy Park. They want an America that looks like 1953, 1954, yep. where black people knew their place and queers were invisible because if they had any sense whatsoever, they would make themselves, they would pick a closet and stay there forever right because 
now now so so two two things that that i i kind of i want to kind of ask or or say kind of at the same time about that do you think any of them understand how miserable even straight white people were behind the scenes during that time period i think that ties into your term sadopopulism doesn't it yes it does um but what it ties into more i believe is the mythical past Mm -hmm. that fascism needs some great and glorious time when the nation was good and wonderful it's uh, part of what you see with some of the like the Viking warrior mythology of how civilization was great when, you know, was ruled by manly men with beards who sailed the seas and pillaged Stole the English coast, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, God, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it, it's, yeah, the, those those people bugged it as as a as a world history teacher and a, and especially a feudal history teacher. Those people just pissed the shit out of me like, God damn it. The public education system failed you so badly. Um, yeah. So sorry. I. I you no, had I participate a second. In some medievalist yeah. societies, society, the Society for Creative Anachronism, That's and d- explaining what the laws of chivalry really were is a lot funnier when you put it in modern military terms. <laughs> yes, it is. So. Okay, so uh, thank you for that. Uh, you know, that actually, I, I have this question for a little later in the book, but I think, you know, it, it fits here. Um, you talk about in your book, uh, and, and I didn't label my questions per chapter, I just was furiously thumbing out uh, these questions as I was reading. Um, the, uh, and there it is, uh, you talk about the loss of a generation of research at one point. Um, and uh, it, and it's funny because I'm conflating it also with the fact that there are anywhere from 25 to 33% fewer. And I hate using percentages as, uh, as fractions, but uh, that many fewer uh, people going into history. Um, and it reminded me of the burning of all the Institute for uh, sexual Wissenschaft uh, archives uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the per- persecution that Hitler uh, or the persecution of Hiller rather, uh, which was setting back transgender research by literal generations because uh, Weimar Germany was kind of the crowning place for that. And some of it went to Sweden and Switzerland, I understand. But um, but by and large, like you had so much of, of that just disappearing. And I, I liked how you you were tying it back to the protocols because the the things that were being burned, uh, everybody uh, has heard of the, the burning of Jewish science and Jewish books and things like that. But one of the first things on the fire was all of the uh, the transgender research that was being done. And I mean, you had some of the first successful uh, transition surgeries. Uh, I think that's what they called them at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you had some of the first successful ones in that place with that research. And then it was, it literally was all up in flames. It and literally it, set yeah. it back 30 years. The, yeah. the um, you know, and the, the library of Magnus Hirschfeld you know, mm-hmm. very, very few people who aren't, you know, e- either into queer studies or study Germany know about it and recognize when you look at the most famous pictures of book burnings in Germany, most of the really famous ones are of, right. of um, that particular library being burned because they were so happy to burn it. Right. Um, and at the same time, we've lost generations of research on gun violence, right? Right. Be- 
we are losing generations of research on um on climate change right now um we <laughs> on, are on epidemiology <laughs> we, you know Mother. here's another one um yeah. hungary uh, a couple mm-hmm. years back banned uh gender studies and women's studies uh classes right. um we've seen the first u.s state ban uh i can't is it montana wyoming south dakota i'd have to go back and check one of those three states has basically written into law that they will ban women and gender studies classes from from universities in the state if they received state funding. Um, and this is should be extremely worrying that we're seeing the end of tenure, that we're seeing the entire departments being wiped out because they fall afoul of the ideology. And one of the things that I mentioned in the book is Lamarck, Lamarckian evolution. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Uh, okay. I stretch enough and then my kids will get longer necks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Rather than genetics. Um, Wait, you mean that you mean that the, the gravity hanger thing I'm using isn't going to help my son get taller? It, it will no. if you if you put it on him after breaking his shins. Well, that's not going to yeah. work. Damn it. Oh, yeah. Go for it. God damn it. You and, you and CPS and you would have some words, and I think your wife <laughs> might have something to say about it as well. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. So, you know, yeah. um, you know, the, the idea, there is an idea that the proper ideology will produce the correct results. Right. And, you know, yeah, okay, I'm conflating communism, fascism, they're two different things, but when you have a government that is run based off of an ideology rather than where does the, where does the data take you? That's what you end up with. I think there's something to be, to be said about the, the totalitarian aspect of the regimes involved that, that one of them is right leaning and one of them is left leaning, but they're both intensely authoritarian. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's, I, I think, I think the, I, I think your analogy is perfectly valid simply because we're talking about totalitarian. So there's a difference between governments. totalitarian and authoritarian and, and authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Um, totalitarian, uh, old school totalitarianism. Um, how should I put it? Um, controlled every aspect of people's lives, right? It was, um, it was, you know, there was Gestapo and Stasi and, and KGB, right, um, that had to be in every part of these parts, every facet of people's lives. More modern versions of fascism don't go the direction of totalitarianism. They prefer a model of competitive authoritarianism, which mm-hmm. is actually more efficient in some ways, because if people still have hope, even if it's a false hope, if they still continue to vote, if they still have the trappings of democracy, even when it isn't, when your vote can't make any more difference in the outcome of the election, my dog can, mm-hmm. you still, it still has a veneer of legitimacy, mm-hmm. right? And that you don't need Stasi, you don't need KGB, you don't need Gestapo. When the public can't change the outcome of the election. Right. They, 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 they can't remove anybody from office. Right. They can't change the course of the country. Why should we care? Let them protest. Let them, 
hold up their little signs, let them yell at the White House. What do we care? And if they get too uppity, well, we have then, gas. you know, then then we have plenty of pepper spray and rubber mm-hmm. bullets and they will disperse. They will and they will shout themselves out. And that's the the way autocratic leaders like uh, Edward Shevard Nazi, who I quoted in the book, see it is demonstrations and protests are a temporary nuisance, but not in any way, shape or form a threat to the regime. Right. And, you know, there's also (laughs) another leg to that stool in some ways is that uh, go ahead and let them do that and then let some of your cronies commodify it. So sell them pink hats or uh, Warner Brothers. Go ahead and sell uh, and make money off of the anonymous, uh, the Guy Fox masks. We did uh, an episode repeat on V for Vendetta, and that was kind of the epilogue was, by the way, the people who are protesting what uh, Warner Brothers was doing were wearing Guy Fox masks, all of which were licensed by Warner Brothers and therefore enriching <laughs> Warner Bro- You know, so... You can get them coming and going, and now they feel like they've done something. They go home and they are blissfully disengaged, thinking that they have actually done something. And you know, we saw pictures like that throughout 2016, 2017. Meanwhile, there were Nazis marching in in Charlottesville. Um, you know, and it was, it was a damned unfortunate thing in a lot of ways. And and uh, it's it's something that I'm I'm kind of coming to grips with, still having participated in some of these uh, events. Because uh, I was still believing that there was some say that we could have if we raised up our voices, but the next three years kind of proved otherwise. Um, now that that's on that populist level, that's not on the the total level because we clearly still have some vestiges that are still you know barely hanging on, uh, comatose though they may be now. Um, so there was a term that you used in your book uh, several times, and I never got a good working definition of it. And I was hoping you could help me out with it. Uh, agitprop. Um, yeah. Give me, give me like the elevator pitch of that. Cause I think, so, I think I get it conceptually, but I couldn't put it into words. So agitprop is propaganda that agitates the populace that yeah. um, the purpose of it is to get people is Propaganda that gets people angry and moving in a particular direction. Gotcha. Okay. Could could Q or QAnon be considered a weirdly viral form of agitprop? It is, and it's mixed in there with conspiracy theories, which I talk about in um, in the chapter nine about the characteristics of fascism mm-hmm. um, that conspiracy theories are pretty central to to fascism um, but propaganda in itself is also fairly cent- uh, central to uh, fascism that you need to get people to believe lies right and it's actually not that hard as long as the lies are things that people wanted to believe to believe to begin with and you lead them down the primrose path and the next thing you know you know uh, you've got people believing that if, you know, we don't, you know, if we don't kill, if we don't kill the Jews then they're going to kill all of us. So, you know, it, it was right. us or them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's, there, there's a quote in the book and I can't remember if it made the final cut and I believe it did, uh, was he who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. That was in there. Yeah. And that's by Voltaire mm-hmm. and it's going to end up in my next book as well, which if you want to sneak, do you want to sneak peek? Yeah. Um, it's, it's um, 
I'm finishing up my third book uh, and I'm just starting the, the lit review on my fourth, which I intend to be called, uh, It Will Happen Here, Life in Post-Democracy America. Nice. There, I mean, because I read It Can't Happen Here. And then I read It Can Happen Here. So it'll be nice to have a, a trilogy instead of a duology. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to find a publisher. We'll see about that. Sure. Um, you, you know, the, the thing you mentioned about uh, propaganda, um, and, and I, I have a few notes on it uh, from later from when we get to chapter nine, uh, is uh, if you can't get them to believe the lies, at least get them to disengage from valuing the truth. And you used different words for truth, different Russian words. And one was like, it, it reminded me a little bit of the movie Sleepers, where it's word on the street versus what's the, you know, what's what's the word for the public kind of thing. But it was essentially like there's a bullshit truth. There's an actual truth. And then I think there was the official truth, too. It so there's felt like there's a triad. Yeah, there's three. There's Pravda, Estina, and Vranya. There you go. Pravda is... And I'll use the analogy I use in my book just because I like it because mm -hmm. everybody gets it, right? Pravda is the truth, you know, as it needs to be right now if you look at it from the right angle. Um, Istina <laughs> is the actual truth, right? Mm -hmm. And Vranya is loosely translated as useful bullshit. Mm -hmm. And the way I like to, um, you know, uh, explain it is Istina is that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and Pravda is that Darth Vader betrayed and murdered your father. <laughs> um, you know, because the Jedi true, are bad guys. From a certain point of view. Mm -hmm. um, as an Obi-Wan Obi Obi fanboy, I, I, feel, I feel attacked. Well, I feel you know, and, and the book. Here. The book goes into a lot of Russian propaganda methods because they're actually uh, very similar to what we see in on Fox News. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's Rand Corporation did a publication on it, um, um, two publications on it, uh, one of which Firehose of Falsehood and Truth Decay. Mm -hmm. uh, Firehose of Falsehood came out in 2015 and it's really, really good. Um, and it describes kind of the, the Russian model of propaganda. And as you read about it, you're like, oh, sheep dip. this is Fox News. <laughs> it's high volume. It doesn't mm -hmm. need to be consistent. <laughs> it doesn't have to impart you with any actual information. It just has to get people going in a direction. Mm -hmm. Right. And it just has Literally. to. And it, ha and it needs to be repetitive and it needs to be full volume and it needs to be. Uh, continuous simple Literally and easily branded prop. yeah it is yeah mm -hmm. oh man and and i just i just want to say first off i love the fact that you use sheep dip but i i want to i want to let you know like you can lord knows i use enough fucking four-letter words on this <laughs> usually, you, know, sheep dip. If you need to usually yeah, you, to describe you did, me you did well <laughs> yeah fucker but you know just just so you know we we swear all the like I, okay i swear Ed swears all the time i don't have to swear i utter puns which are effective curses <laughs> well curse and upon us puns. but you know yes yeah. yeah why do i need to get my hands dirty yeah. uh, <laughs> so uh i i lost that page but there was this wonderful quote that you had about chichesk or from chicheskow um 
and there was a there was a pessimism of of what he was saying uh i i don't and if you don't remember it uh forgive me uh, as well um but uh, there's this quote and i just i have this note here saying do you think it was pessimistic because of what led up to his overthrow or what happened after his overthrow uh and i think it it oh, was it was after having his to... overthrow wasn't mm-hmm. he dead yes and that's kind of the point okay. is that like uh essentially you can't get rid of these assholes un- unless there's oh, like okay. either extreme violence or you let them die off of old age, which by the way, how come people who are evil get to live that long? Like I had a couple grandmas that did that and that because wasn't evil okay. as a preservative. I've, I've come to the conclusion. It's a that pickling they, agent. They, they, they all in fact are, are like semi undead, like mm-hmm. they're tapped into their, their liches before they actually completely physically die. Mm-hmm. Must that's, be. Well, that's my, that's even, my standing Evil theory. bastards spend their lives robbing, cheating, and stealing from people um, and de- de- derive pleasure from one of the easiest things to achieve in life, which is making other people miserable when you have money. Uh, so they get the best possible medical care. That's and, point, you know, yeah. that's, that's why, you know, rich, evil bastards live the longest. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> One of my favorite moments as a teacher was when my students came up to me and they said, Mr. Harmony, and they were freshmen. I said, Mr. Harmony, did you hear? And I said, what? And they said, Pinochet died. And I was like, good for you recognizing that. Good job. Because we'd done a whole unit on Pinochet and, and, and his thing. So, all right. So uh, you, you mentioned Trump loyalists and the things that came to mind with Trump loyalists uh, pretty quickly was the people who went with West with Aaron Burr uh, and uh, those who joined Sam Houston. Um, and uh, it, you know, it may it's be a sad. Mm-hmm. It's a sad statement on American education that both of those are deep cuts. Like, yeah, like there is there is an obscurity to both of those, both of those events that that says something really bad about mm-hmm. the system we both work in. Yeah. Well, Sorry, I, I, no, okay. I, no. I stepped on your toes with that, but wow, that that hurt to think about. But I, I want to know how different Trump loyalists are, other than the fact that uh, with both Burr and Houston, there was this moving west, invading other people's territory, or as Americans call it, settling. Um, so there was this this release valve that they seem to enjoy by by taking over indigenous lands. Um, now, that's not a thing that can happen much anymore, unless, of course, we find precious minerals on reservations uh but um trump loyalists and these people who went west is that like the only difference i mean were those people just as poisonous and it's kind of a good thing that they left i mean and it's okay if you can't speak to that too but um so what i would say the the overlap Mm -hmm. is the callousness um that is deeply endemic Mm -hmm. to um both sorts of movements is oh those people well you know let's let's you know uh trail of tears kill the buffalo drive them off their land deport them right they're they're not like us right right um our interests come first last and always Mm -hmm. um and an inability to recognize well wow those are people too we probably shouldn't do these things if you recognize that they're humans and shouldn't be treated this way because we wouldn't want to be treated that way because and that's the weird thing is is there's this either manifest sense of manifest destiny which Mm -hmm. is 
you know, I, I spend a chapter on Christian nationalism mm -hmm. and manifest destiny is, is a clear part of that. Um, <clears throat> and the grievances is, is very clear from the lost cause kinds of stuff. Um, but when you look at how they see themselves, they see everyone else as deserving of bad things happening to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a common thread between, you know, 18, you know, 1830, 1840 mm -hmm. and uh, where we are today is that there is this assumption that black people are poorer than whites because they deserve it because there's they something flawed about them yeah. that that LGBT people uh, commit suicide because they're broken and God and God has turned their backs on them or that they are, they are defying gods. Um, and that maybe if we just make them wretched enough, maybe they'll come back to God, right? That there's a, there is a, there is an assumption that creating misery is, is part of the manifest destiny. It's good for their soul. Good for their souls. It's what yeah. God wants. Somehow, um, somehow and you don't have to think yeah. you don't have to exercise empathy and you don't have to think too hard well because god's gonna pluck you up like it's this blend of and and i mean ed ed's got it i mean go ahead ed i don't want to steal I, your thunder I, here I, I hear this I hear is your bailiwick yeah, yeah. I, mean, I hear where you're going already. do it um the the you know second great awakening you know baptist ideas that you that you know we don't need to worry about any of this shit because you know at at the end of days we're going to be god loves us more than he loves everybody else and he's going to pluck us up because mm -hmm. we're the chosen and because of ideas of predestination and you know calvinist ideas of salvation we're all going to be lifted up you know to heaven and like whether we do the right thing or not it doesn't matter because we're saved right and there was you a know. nice commercial break from that during the civil rights movement <laughs> where it secularized the faith again of yeah. Jesus is coming. We better fix this shit so that yeah. he's happy when he gets here. And then it switched back yeah. to Jesus is coming. Look busy. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, which and, of course, actually, go ahead, go ahead. And, and you, and you bringing that point up mm -hmm. uh, leads me to ask Bryn. I, I want to know, to to the extent that that you you know have studied the, the intersection of of all of this religion and and you know uh, right wing kind of ideology and and so forth with the particularly with the revelation that um, I want to say it's Franklin Graham uh, has now come out and said that he didn't actually ever believe any of his any of his dad's bullshit. There's like it was there's there's articles been out there that he 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 gave an interview where he said, mm -hmm. you know, I never I never really believed any of that. This is after his his, you know, he just benefited uh, a lot from it. Yeah. This Thanks, is Frank. after his his, you know, stepping down as the as the head of, you know, the university and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, not Franklin Graham. You mean uh Falwell. Falwell. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Thank okay. You. That makes more Franklin sense. Franklin Graham? Yeah, no. renouncing billy Graham? wow yeah, no, how did i, I miss that i'm sorry i'm entirely yeah no, you, it's falwell's it's kid falwell's yeah. kid um jerry falwell's son yes um you know coming coming out and saying he never he never believed any of it how how much for for the folks in 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 the movement 
you know, the, the, the really, you know, the hardcore Trump supporters, how much do you think they are aware of the bullshit that's involved in their like like how 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 much do you think they are really no kidding true believers in the in the theology and how much do you think the theology is just a convenient excuse for them i, I don't know if i'm articulating my question yeah here. you are oh. so i would put the percent of the gop base that constitutes true true believers at something a little bit in excess of 50%. I'm going to guess 50, 55 to 60% okay. as, as died in the wolf. And the way I come up with that number is the people that, that when they asked, okay, Trump shoots somebody in the middle of fifth Avenue, do you still vote for him? Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and the answer is, Oh, hell yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Would you vote for somebody else in the primary? Nope. Still voting for Trump. Okay. That's your true believer that there is nothing that this individual can say or do that will make them turn their back on them or recognize the reality of the situation that this is a shit human being, right? So there's no mental like, gymnastics there. It's I fully am on board with this. Right. Right. Now okay. in the US in the US Senate, um, you've got you've got maybe a third of senators are true believers, probably a little bit less. Okay. Whereas in the U.S. House of Representatives, yeah. you've got you've got close you've got something between a third and a half, right? Like Remember 40, that that sixty percent, sixty four percent of House Republicans voted to overturn the election, right? Um, okay, mm -hmm. um, and that number is going to go up. It looks like next time around, the only two, two or three people that wouldn't vote to do so are gone, right? Kinzinger right. and Cheney. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of Republicans who are educated and work inside the system and who have experience with intelligence community, Department of Defense, mm -hmm. um, governmental affairs, understand that Trump is a freaking, you know, he's, he's a monster. He's a moron. He's yeah. a moron, right? <laughs> who is incapable of learning, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who is, and his instincts are petty, vengeful, and venal. Mm -hmm. Universally um, bad. Like, like but no... the fact that he wants, the, the fact that he will go along with, you know, eliminating the queers, uh, you know, and kicking trans people out of the military and granting religious rights, you know, a, a religious right to, ignore civil rights laws mm -hmm. and shoot protesters black black protesters and uh, defend yourself by running them down with your car you know that they like that because for a long time even before trump dating back to as i cited uh newt gringrich's 1978 campaign speech we're in a war it's mm -hmm. a war for power and they have seen this as a war for power for a very long time mm -hmm. to save our country, right? And if Donald Trump is what gets them seven conservative justices on the Supreme Court that are going to let them op open, you know, right. you know, uh, you know, the, the Mike De DeSantis reeducation camps for queers. Uh, okay, sure. Sure. Um, and at the same time, uh, we could talk about this a little bit later, but they're also willing to increasingly crowdsource the cruelty mm -hmm. 
which goes back okay. to your auto- your competitive autocracy in some ways. Like the, I see that working, uh, as you said in your book, hand in glove, or even better, one of my favorite quotes, uh, head and hood. Um, but yeah. it's very efficient to let the people do all the excessive stuff and then just not punish them. And you don't have to pay anybody to do it or settle any lawsuits against your organizations. The U.S. court system has decided that they are not going to overturn laws that put bounties out there right if you if you if a woman gets an abortion in texas there's a bounty on reporting her Mm -hmm. if a person has a transgender child right and seeks medical treatment for them you that's we're going the direction of bounties we're going to see and we're just going to see and since the courts have ruled we can't touch bounties we're going to see bounties put on everything right which has got to be like- a teacher, a teacher acknowledges that slavery was bad and it affected black people. Right. Oh, my God, that's critical race theory. Well, Mr. Harmony, I'm sorry, but you're going to be put on unpaid leave while mm-hmm. this is investigated. And oh, by the way, the parents of of, you know, um, little Timmy. you know, uh, mm-hmm. t- Timmy O'Clanahan. Um, you know, I will be suing you for, for, you know, $10,000 and I can't crowdsource to raise funds either. No, you can't. Right. I have to pay for it. I mean, the the, the point is, is suppression. Get the society you want by suppressing it, suppressing ideas and people out of public life. And that should be terrifying. You know, that goes right back. What replaces it will be mm-hmm. the ideas that are acceptable to one particular group of people in right. the U.S. That goes right back, I think, to the churching aspect where you you pointed out that the lost cause was was just folded into the mix on churching. Um, and which, of course, as Ed was pointing out, you, you were, uh, well, I'll come back to that in a second. But uh, it goes right back into that idea of the the Calvinistic, the cruelty is the point Christianity um, and uh, God's going to rescue us all. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to back off a little bit there. Calvinism isn't necessarily about cruelty is the point. Calvinism is about, we don't need to worry about being responsible for what we do. Right. Because we're all good. We're either going to get saved or we're not. And there's no way to know the, the, the cruelty is the point is an outgrowth of that. It's an Americanization of it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's a very American adaptation of that. Yes. The cruelty is the point is a quote that comes from uh, Atlantic contributor Adam Server in an essay from 2017 or 2018. Mm -hmm. And his background is is historian on reconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I think that 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 is an uh, is a valid description of this kind of evangelicalism that is trying to punish people here on earth uh kind of you know again you know look i wasn't being the bad one uh kind of christianity uh i'm suppressing look i'm suppressing all the queers i'm suppressing all of uh the non-whites and it's this really weird very american very southern uh it is it is what they don't see themselves as suppressing blacks they just see it as well, you know, the reason that bad things happen to black people is their own fault. Whereas right. um, with queers in their own minds these days, 
they see it as doing God's work, making America a more godly country, right? They, they're, they allow themselves to think about queer people the way they thought about black people 60, 70 years ago. Whereas yeah. if yeah. you, like when you take, this is polling data, but uh, when you take thermometer data mm-hmm. on how they feel about black people in a very generic sense, mm-hmm. it's not that particularly different from anybody else. But when you start asking very specific questions of, you know, why why do black people suffer from a lack of, of familial wealth, right? Mm-hmm. The average black household is worth less than a tenth of what a white household is worth, right? right. You know, um, they don't blame it on, you know, for, you know, 250 years of repression and a system which uh, has low social mobility, they put it squarely on the character of black people. Well, yeah. And, and, and that's, that comes to, I think a couple of things and, and I'm going to, I'm going to run this by you and and see what, what you, what you think about my read on this. But I think part of it is um, the, again, very Calvinist idea that, um, uh, virtue, virtue is reflected in your, in your worldly circumstances. We can tell whether or not you're going to be saved by how you're doing in this, in this world, which, which is not actually part of what Calvin taught, but it's something that Calvinists latched onto. Especially here. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially here, but the Dutch are are a really strong example of this, that, that, uh, you know, worldly success was considered to be a sign of God's favor and a sign that you were more likely to be saved. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and so if you were badly off, um, then that was a sign that like, you know, well, you know, you're, you're not going, you're not going to be one of the elect, you know, uh, which yeah, I, I could, I could get all, all theology nerd about it for, for forever, but, but that, that's part of it. And then part of it is also in, in my own view, and I, I want to see what you think about this. There, there is a very deep discomfort about admitting the existence of any kind of systemic issue that 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 it has to be their fault because of the just universe uh uh, fallacy Mm -hmm. you know and if and if i'm i'm better off than they are that must be that's that that is that is all to my credit and if they are more poorly off then then they must have done something right and and does that does that track with the rest of what you see in 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 you know the research that you've done about their their kind of outlook and the and the, and the way that we got where we are with these folks so yes and i only discuss it uh briefly but uh the prosperity gospel right mm-hmm. um is that let's face it these are the guys that are that are you know um you know sailing around gold-plated yachts they're jesus you know. pimping yeah <laughs> exactly all right yeah. it's like oh hey give me money and god will give you money too yep right and there's an yeah. assumption within the prosperity gospel that god rewards uh good behavior with wealth and that wealth yep. is a sign of godliness um and we saw during the Trump administration, um, the prosperity gospel charlatan types getting further into U.S. governance and administrations than they ever had before. George W. Bush 
kept them at arm's length. Reagan, Reagan and the moral majority, mm-hmm. right? The moral majority kept those charismatic types out. They're like, no, this this is a different brand, right? The Falwell, like Falwell. I, I did get, I, I want to say, I did get that far into the book. I got, I got about to the point of the end of the Reagan administration in your, in your, in, in the historical part of your thesis. So like Pat Robertson was, was a charismatic, right? right. Yeah. It was a, charismatic school of evangelicism, yeah. right? And he really didn't have a lot of the backing of what was left of the moral majority in 88 when he ran for president, right? That's why he fell flat on his pay- face. Uh, was you know people don't recognize that evangelicals aren't a monolith. That said, in the 30 years since, they have become much more monolithic in terms of their views, um, and there's much less, I, I would say, sibling rivalry that a lot of and the, here's the thing, though, is that your old school, um, um, old school Southern Baptists who are trying to remain kind of moderate, kind of not crazy, um, have been pushed out in favor of the ones who would very much like to wage culture war forever and are just fine working with the charlatans mm-hmm. and the, and the, the, the Creflo dollars and the Paula whites. Now, now do you think that is because of where outside funding goes, or do you think that's because of a popular shift within those movements by believers? Uh, mostly the latter. But also, you have to acknowledge that um, a while back, there was essentially a palace coup inside of the Southern Baptist Convention and other and other evangelical organizations where basically they grabbed power um, in elections within those organizations and forced out all the moderates, basically gave them the you're not welcome here. Right. Moderation. Russell Moore. Russell Moore basically got tossed out on his ear from the Southern Baptist convention because he, I mean, as much as I dislike him, he (laughs) stuck to his guns and said, look, this guy is a lying, cheating, philandering, you know, uh, piece of garbage. We're, we, you know, he's a horrible person. Why are we following such a horrible person? And why are we putting him on a pedestal? Mm -hmm. And for that, he got exiled. (laughs) Yeah. And because the answer is brand loyalty. And also, can we get seven judges that'll help us save uh, theoretical babies? Yeah. Well, the there's that. And then there's also the fact that at this point, there is no separation of church and state. There's no separation of religion and being Republican. Mm-hmm. Re- being Republican is increasingly a religion and religion is increasingly Republican. The see, mainline mainline Protestants have almost been wiped out. See, that reminds me of of I, I grew up a baseball fan um, and I grew up a football fan. Uh, and it reminds me of, uh, you know, my team. Uh, I'm a I'm a Kings fan. OK, I used to, I'm, I'm a lapsed Giants fan because their owners are trash. Uh, even though they're my beloved Giants, I will not give them any money because their owners are shit. Um, I'm so I love sorry, your you're a Kings fan. No, my yeah, heart, me too. My heart goes out to you. No, it's easy because I'm so much more comfortable 
uh, with a team that loses so badly and just finds new ways. It's, it, I assume, oh, I w- it's, yeah. I'm a Suns fan. I had a you decade know. of that. I can't imagine two decades of it. <laughs> oh, it's easy. It's easy. The first decade goes down hard. The rest is just like, oh, this is normal. Um, you're both, you're both Pikers. I grew up a Padres and a Chargers fan. Well, like you okay. Can, you can, whatever. <laughs> Amateur. But as a Kings fan, yeah. uh, when Ron Artest got attacked by fans from Detroit uh, and there were all kinds of problems, everybody clucked their tongue. Then when he came to Sacramento, oh, he's not so bad, was kind of the vibe that I got from most people. It's like, hey, he's starving his dogs by neglect. Yeah, but like, did you see those rebounds? Um, and then he went to L.A. and we're like, man, fuck that guy. He changed his name. Uh, and so it seems like uh, that whole this guy's a philanderer. He's he's awful. He's a piece of shit. Um, I have standards. Um, and it's like, OK, goodbye. You don't get to sit in the Kings fan section anymore uh, because you aren't Kings ride or die. You know, and and again, I think there's there's that weird. You, you mentioned it in your book. It's a uh, tribal epistemology. Uh, yes. And it gets back to that that triad of truths, the 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 Pravda, and it, it very much is a Pravda thing. It's the convenient truth is that Ron Artest is really good at grabbing rebounds. Uh, we'll ignore the other things until he goes to L.A. <laughs> he changed his name. Come on, Pravda, Pravda, Pravda. Uh, now we don't like him because he's in L.A. Uh, and so I think in very many ways that same thing happens, and it's like this collision of of tribal epistemology with uh, Poole's law of iron bureaucracy in combination with um and ed i don't remember uh the the actual phrase but it's where uh you know satire becomes the reality oh, um, pose law pose law. law yep pose law and pool's law colliding with this tribal epistemology where wherein you have uh, essentially uh all of the reasonable principled people leave the organization and the only ones who stay are the ones who seek power within the organization until the part the point of the organization is to gain power and it just uses the mission of the organization as its thin veneer well you have you so you i think going back sure yes there's people like that who are you know what um lindsey graham is used to be sane Right. He used to be he used to be John McCain's bestie. He's a colonel in, in the in the reserves. He's um, he, he was, was a moderate. He said if we if we nominate if we nominate right. Donald Trump, we're going to get destroyed and we deserve it. Right. He was not um, wrong. And, <laughs> and he's now he is Trump's lapdog. Yes. So was Ted Cruz after Trump literally called Cruz's wife a dog. Right. Oh, oh, um, Ted, Ted Cruz, like there is, there is, it would be very hard to find an, an insult that would be powerful enough to embody the cravenness of, of the extent to which Ted Cruz has, has, has done that. Yeah. Like, you know, there was, yeah. there was a, there was a joke that came out from an unnamed staffer that if, if uh, someone beat uh, Ted Cruz to death in the well of the Senate chamber, it'd be tough to get any witnesses to testify. <laughs> yeah. He, um, he is like the most hated man in the Senate, isn't he? He's, yeah, well, yeah. He, he's, he's pretty close there. 
Um, you know, and look at how Donald Trump constantly berates and 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 insults Mitch McConnell and Mitch McConnell just takes it. Right. Uh, but you also have the true believers. And mm-hmm. those are the dangerous ones. Those are the ones who are going to be calling the shots because the Republican majority in the House um that's we're going to see the same dynamic we saw with the tea party which is you're going to have the true believers and nothing in the house can pass without the say of the true believers yeah right tea party but on cocaine without literacy yeah it's going to be marjorie taylor green and bobert and um you know okay screwy louis gohmert's going away but Mm -hmm. you know you're gonna you're gonna have massey and you're gonna have Mm -hmm. all these people who are just Bug nuts, QAnon believing, gun toting, uh, you know, Crazy. as John McCain, John McCain called them whack doodles, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yeah. I'm going to confess, uh, for a large part of my life, I was a McCain Republican. So was yeah. he. I was not, uh, <laughs> but, and, and it largely because I remembered the savings and loan scandal and how he constantly branded himself as straight talk and he always would he was he was too much into image management for me to be feel comfortable with him with believing him um so i i personally was not but that was more like just kind of a vibe that i got so i can't say that it was because i was smart it was it was much more just because of a a feeling that i got it just i didn't trust the guy you know it's kind of like when kevin johnson came to sacramento um, <laughs> and we're back why is that because he was a son's point guard no uh it was because of what he did while he was a son's point guard with 15 year olds ah. uh yeah and then he started a school where he went on field trips with 17 year olds year old yeah yeah so uh so now yeah. the fact that he was a son's point guard uh did not help in my estimation because at the time <laughs> i liked the, but he was a point guard for sacramento I would have still under the bridge. See, I liked I I'm one of those weird fans where I will bench an entire team. Like I was a diehard Niners fan. And then they abandoned Kaepernick. And I said, okay, y'all are benched until you get new ownership. I'm not, I'm not following you at all. Um, and same thing with the Giants. Uh, and and I've benched them twice before. So it's a bummer. I'm a man without a country. Uh, but I would much rather that than be loyal to you know, an organization that does that. So I'm, I'm an outlier for that, but, uh, but I understand the, the tribal epistemology of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So now speaking of McCain, uh, I, I do wonder, um, do you find that his rehabilitation in light of all the shitty people who've come since, um, do you find that uh, he, that rehabilitation is in some way disingenuous because it's so relative to uh, these folks. Like, yes, when compared to Lauren Boebert, who claims that Sweet Stan Lane of the Fantastics, a Southern wrestling uh, group, uh, she claims that he, being her first cousin once removed, is her father, despite the overwhelming evidence that, in fact, he is not. And a DNA um, test. Like, yeah. Part of that overwhelming evidence is a DNA test. Yeah. I, I like every time this comes up, like I need to throw that out there. And on our podcast, it's at least every other episode because I just can't let go every, of the fact. Never, maybe yeah. every third, but yeah. But do you find that his being rehabilitated in light of them is kind of violating some sort of ethical principle about like, like, like he's still 
I mean, you, you said you were a McCain Republican for a while, I guess, what turned you away from him? And do you find it uh, odd that people are judging him nicer now than maybe they should have by, by a different standard? So uh, you've mentioned the SNL scandal, the, the way mm-hmm. that at least I mentally uh, worked around that mm-hmm. uh, at the time was that, well, yeah, he screwed up. He admitted he screwed up. And then he supported um, laws that were meant to prevent anything like that happening again. Okay. Right. Sure. Um, that he was notorious for crossing the aisle and cutting deals um, mm-hmm. that he did have some principles. Remember, he stood up to George Bush and uh mm-hmm. said no torture yes not not right um he was willing to tell his party to go to go fuck itself when mm-hmm. he thought they were wrong um which is a level of principles that does not exist within the gop anymore um the he also recognized that he wanted joe lieberman as his running mate right um um who would who would have been considered kind of dead center but hawkish on military stuff yeah um too conservative for democrats too liberal for republicans Mm -hmm. um and he got he got convinced to um make sarah palin and he eventually he 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 regretted regretted it and he basically uh was willing to admit mistakes so here's the difference how i'm able to look at him differently than i am the gop as it is today Mm mm-hmm um, is that you look at dear leader, you look at Trump is a man who is incapable of admitting mistakes. And you look at the right. GOP and the GOP as a whole is completely incapable of admitting mistakes ever. Right. True. Okay. Even when they put a pederast like Roy Moore up mm-hmm. for election. Right. Um, Where Cinnabon had a better moral compass than the GOP of that state. Because they wouldn't let him <laughs> within certain amount of distance from the mall. Cinnabon yeah, he was, he was had a better moral compass. Because yeah. he was yeah. tr- trolling for, for teen girls when he was a 30-something-year-old district attorney. Imagine if right. Lauren Boebert's husband did that. Oh. Oh. oh, you went there. You Hell went yeah. there. Hell yeah. You, yeah um, clearly he's besmirching the good name of Sweet Stan Lane. No, yeah. you don't get to do that. Yeah. So I, what I'm saying at this point is that there is no room for, are we judging McCain on a, on a sliding scale? Yeah, perhaps. Okay. Um, but, but that scale has slid so far, so far that (laughs) like McCain looks principled and rational compared to 99% of what's out there now. I'm going to, I'm going to argue from the poli sci definition as i understand it mccain was rational like he you know as compared to like the QAnon folks who do not strike me as being rational actors in that sense so i you know i they're I think, very I think much there is I, I think depending on where you put the the, the w- w- depending on where you set the bar there is an objective level of fuckery that 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 still remains involved i I think with with them uh so we mentioned pravda i'm going to ask you what the word for useful bullshit is again what is it vranio vranio um for them vranio has become their pravda like that's how far (laughs) into the muck they've gone brain wise vranio 
mm-hmm. is what they're pumping through the fire hose of falsehood. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you mentioned something interesting, rational actors. Mm-hmm. And yes. one of the, and I touched on it earlier, but one of the biggest problems that we have now that I talked about, I spent an entire chapter on it is the death of expertise. Right. Right. And we touched on this a little bit, but, and we talked about Lamarcky and evolution and we talked uh, about losing science, but fundamentally we're dealing with a GOP that cannot be convinced with logic, facts, research, data, right? That ideology and conspiracies and um, religion and um, are all absolutely sub- suitable substitutes for mm-hmm. well, what does the data say? What sh- what you know? Uh, and they want to pick it apart because there is a deliberate need to um, destroy faith and expertise and faith in academia and faith mm-hmm. in scientists and people who otherwise understand systems. Um, the, there is a contempt for expertise. There is a contempt for uh, bureaucrats. There is, a, there is a contempt for researchers. Right, that they assume that common sense and religion and anything else mm-hmm. is a suitable substitute for years of education and experience. Because, yeah. well, this can't be possibly that hard. Look how stupid those people in Washington are. How hard can it be? Can I just I'm just inter- going to use my common sense. Can I just interject here as a church going sure. Catholic uh, the idea of equating religion and common sense? Like in like putting them in the same bucket is like glad you said it. Like like as a believing Catholic, as somebody yeah. who wakes up every morning and chooses to believe in transubstantiation, like no, you don't get to put that in the same bucket as common sense. Fuck you, no. Um, so, but, but these people insist on doing that. Is is kind of what what I'm coming around to, and and um. It kind of tarnishes it, the brand of faith, doesn't it? It, it, it to me, it does. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say, and and Asimov had had a great quote, and this is years ago, but I think what what you're speaking to is is, and I actually want to want to ask you about what you think about this because because Asimov said this, I want to say this was back in the 60s or 70s. There is a cult of ignorance in the United States, and there always has been. The strain of anti-intellectualism has been a constant thread winding its way through our political and cultural life, nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. And ironically, I picked that quote out and then put it in my book, and then I w- as, as I was writing it, and then I got Tom Nichols' book, The Death of Expertise, and found he'd put it in his book as well. <laughs> and there's a lot yeah. of stuff that Tom Nichols and I wouldn't agree on. Um, he's coming from a much more right-wing side. He's kind of in the never-Trump wing of the Republican Party. I'd put him out there with kind of a uh, something in a Liz, something slightly left of Liz Cheney, and probably in the Adam Kinzinger kind of Republican okay. category. Okay. Um, but I at least understand him because he spent decades teaching at the War College. Okay. Um, 
at the Naval War College. So I at least get where he's coming from. He makes sense because he understands national security and national defense in a way that I understand it. Um, but we, this, this is something that, that both sides can see that, that this is not healthy, that this quote is right. out that you just read is something that, that people with radically different views of, of what the right thing to do is see in the Republican party today. You know, and, as, and, oh, sorry, Go ahead. and, and, and to what extent do you think this is, and I, I don't know if I'm even phrasing my question the right way, but th- that that strain of thought having been kind of a part of American populism since the beginning, since since the genesis yeah, of the, the know experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And even <laughs> and even before that, I mean, you know, forever. Um can do do you think there is or or to what extent, I guess is what I'm gonna say, to what extent do you think there has been a conscious magnification or intensification of that. Like how, how much of that is, is natural groundswell feeding on itself and how much of that is actually, no, no, we're going to take advantage of this and like push this for everything it's worth. So I would say that, 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 that kind of stupid nativist populist, ignorant strain of thought is always there. You're absolutely right, Mm -hmm. but it has been nurtured. It has Mm -hmm. been cultivated. It has been commodified, you know, starting with Rush Limbaugh and then Fox news and then everybody else that came along. There is so much money to be made pushing that vranio through the fire hose of falsehood, (laughs) right? Yeah. into to to spray agitprop all over people and let that mm-hmm. you know um and like think of that in the most pornographic like, sense possible yeah. oh i was going um, with like i was going with like alice cooper or gore just like yeah, you know, blood and yeah. cheerios everywhere yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you you explicitly made the made the reference to you know pornographic because i was about to make a remark about i feel like agitprop has become a a, a, a euphemism for something else but yeah, but it's That's the money it shot. Is, yeah. It is so much. There is so much money in it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it doesn't have to be consistent. Um, it it just look at. I mean, people buying food rations and gold and mm-hmm. and Trump memorabilia and Trump coins and Trump plates and Trump mm-hmm. Trump has. Let's go Brandon modifying his name. Let's go Brandon Flex. There is immense amount of money that is able to be poured into this. Mm -hmm. The amount of money that organizations like the Heritage Foundation and the Alliance Defending Freedom and all these other organizations that just there exist, they exist to obliterate LGBT people. Mm -hmm. The amount of money behind them is just staggering compared to you know, the National Center for Transgender Equality, which runs on a, like a $3 million budget. Woo. Right. Whereas, you know, going up against Focus on the Family, their budget's $1.2 billion. Yeah. You know, this, this. No shit. Really? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good money 
in in white fear you know cis white fear uh, doubly so there is so much money mm-hmm. just the Mormon church is sitting on a dragon hoard of $110 billion in liquid assets. You're not talking honey. You're talking actual like cash. Like stocks, like money. bonds, mutuals, yeah. index yeah. funds. Yes. Wow. Well, uh, I'm we're coming have to look something up real quick. But don't okay. carry on. We're, we're coming to the end of this episode. Um, and I want to ask you this question before this episode ends. And we're definitely going to have you back next week for uh, for another episode. Um, I say knowing that people know that we record several episodes at once. Uh, mm-hmm. But I like to keep that illusion going. So uh, spoiler alert, uh, everybody scrub forward 15 seconds from 15 seconds ago. Uh, so... Um, there's this wonderful wordplay that you do and uh, being the punter that I am, I always wonder if people did it on purpose or not, uh, or if they're just brilliant uh, just because Uh, you said breaking the faith with democracy. And there's so many layers to that phrase um, that I, I number one, well done. Number two, it brings me to this question though. Does Christianity itself lend itself more easily? And I'm going to say, American Christianity. Does American Christianity, therefore WASP Christianity, um, although I will put Catholics in there as well because they vote more for the guy who's not a Catholic than the Democrat who's a Catholic now. Um, But does Christianity, American Christianity, lend itself more easily to fascism or to democracy? And please tell me why. If you're going to say, I thought I was hoping that you would say, does does American uh, Christianity lend itself towards democracy? Mm-hmm. I wish you'd ask me that question so I could just fucking laugh hysterically for the next 30 seconds All right, well, and let's, cry let's... and pee my pants. Well, we're, we'll, we'll fix this in post. So, uh, Bryn, does Christianity, American Christianity, lend itself to democracy? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, no. <laughs> we busted the levels. I don't she know. Did. I don't know if it happened on your end, but like <laughs> it did. Cut out. Like it was so. Oh uh... God, no, no, God, no, no. Um, America's really only been a democracy since about 1965, when we passed the Voting Rights Act. Uh, up until 1922, women couldn't vote, and before that, blacks couldn't vote at all. Um, slavery. Before that, um, you know, it was only wealthy white landowners. Um, when we look back at, you know, you know, well, oh, well, it's just the Southern whites. No, no, no. At one point, um, a in Maryland, I think something like eighty percent of the Catholics in Maryland were black slaves <laughs> uh, prior to the American Revolution. Yeah, uh, bring up that Sounds fact up right. in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Amer- Christianity is very authoritarian. All power flows from God or a religious figure. Um, it doesn't give power to women. It was, it's been used consistently to oppress black people. Remember uh, Ephesians 6, 5, slaves obey your masters. That was absolutely the favorite Bible quote of, of white Christians in the U.S. for a very, very long time. 
But wasn't um, it white Christians who did abolition? I mean, they solved slavery. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then they also, okay. and then they also conveniently <laughs> forgot, forgot about uh, promoting democracy when reconstruction failed. That was part yeah. of the deal. Now you're that, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Bren. Um, as, as the, as, as the, the believer of the two of us, I just like, Dude, fuck you. Um, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> Hopefully, um, I'm not being too rude as an atheist here. No, 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 but... no, 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 not, not at all. No, nah, you're um, good. No, you're, you're, you're fine. Um, yeah. Like the, the, the institution and and the, the tenets of the faith are, are you know different things to me. But um, so, okay, so, so I just I, I want to come back to what you said about what was the figure that you gave for the liquid assets of the Mormon Church. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It was reported in the Washington Post about two or three years ago that a whistleblower came out and uh, revealed that somewhere between 105 and 110 billion dollars that had been given to the church for charitable work had never actually been spent and had just been flowed into investments, which have sat there churning for decades and decades and decades until they are the richest church on earth. Yeah, and, I, 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 I had to I, I had to ask you for that for that figure again because like let's let's think about my own church, which is no exemplar of you know um, letting go of worldly wealth. Um, best estimates uh, about the the Catholic Church's liquid wealth are somewhere between ten to fifteen billion. Yeah, but then count real estate. Well. Okay, but, but we're, we're specifically talking about liquid okay. assets. Okay. We're talking about cash on hand, right? Which is what which is what staggers my fucking bean. Sure. Because you know the like we'd have to go back. I don't even basically a thousand years or more to to talk about where the church accumulated the the real estate they're talking about in in terms of Catholicism. The Mormon Church isn't even two hundred. Well. No, no, it's not yet. Not even 200 years old. And they've got 10 times the liquid cash on hand. Well, here's the other thing. That and I'm, I'm an ex more I was, my dad tried to raise me Mormon, obviously didn't take. Mm. Um, but keep in mind, when was the last time you saw a Mormon hospital giving free cancer treatments to kids? How about a Mormon homeless shelter? How about a Mormon school for underprivileged kids that provides a top-notch education for free? How about Mormon universities that are free to underprivileged people? Do you see where I'm going with this? Oh yeah, no, I, I, I totally see where you're going with that. And, and the, only, the only kind of tag I can add to it is that makes it sadly a very, very American religious institution. I was about to say, that's one of the reasons I think they're so liquid is because they came up in a cash economy uh, country at a time yeah, where cash economy, I mean, you look at where the church started, where it went. I mean, we're talking railroads. Uh, and and then going off of spurs and trying to get ahead of it so that you can buy up that land and take it from the, the indigenous peoples there. Uh, but essentially, you know, cash on hand was because of railroads to begin with. That's why we have the Federal Reserve Banks where we have them was because they were railheads. Um, makes perfect sense to me that a church that starts kind of along those same veins um, would would end up very, very liquid. 
So, yeah. okay. So to recap, uh, Christianity, uh, Jesus absolutely wants us to have democracy uh, in the American style. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're all grateful for that. I think that's really the lesson here. Did I, I'm sorry, I had a fugue state. Um, what, I, I, I think, I think Jesus would want us to have true democracy. I think American Christianity as an institution. A little less so. Like 95%. I wrote an article after my book came out and it was basically religion's not good for America. And it basically pointed out, look, whatever moderating or liberalizing or humanistic influence religion and Christianity in particular might have had upon the United States during the civil rights movement or Mm -hmm. during abolition is long gone. The forces that were a liberalizing, the, the parts of American Christianity that pushed towards liberalization and human rights are dead or dying very, very, very quickly. Their numbers have plummeted. And there's a reason why um, Black Lives Matter was founded by a bunch of queer, lesbian, black women that were trans inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. And that, yes, churches participated, but they weren't leading anymore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, as. I, I don't transition well uh, from like the, the, oh, Jesus, I didn't do that on purpose. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd say you'd need a lot of electrolysis and laser before you could do bit. that successfully. Only from the neck up. I'm like a dolphin below. Uh, <laughs> I've ruined dolphins for every, okay. I'm like a manatee below. Uh, but uh, so what we normally like to do is ask people what they're reading um, and then also where they can be found on the social medias or whatever platforms or talking circuits they want to be known at. So uh, I'll start off with Ed, uh, just so we have a, a good example. Uh, Ed, what you reading? Uh, well, right now I am uh, reading a friend of the show, uh, Bishop O'Connell's uh, debut novel, oh. uh, The Stolen, again. Mm-hmm. Um it's the one about Norwegian wedding cakes, right? I knew you were going to go for that damn joke. Yeah. You always do. I do. Like, come on. I'm so good at it. It's stolen but, valor, baby. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I am I am rereading that in cool. in uh, preparation for uh, our interview, uh, possibly with him coming up. It's us. It'll um, be plural. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. You never know. Man can um, he and I might not spend you know half an episode just talking about high school um but <laughs> anyway i'm i'm back to sixth that. rate we go yeah uh, so. uh, i told you before we started recording historically there were only three rates mm-hmm. so you're about to find than that. yeah um so anyway so you're reading I'm, I'm, the stolen I'm reading i'm reading the stolen by bishop o'connell i very Wonderful. highly highly recommend it um it is it is an excellent uh modern set I guess it would fall in the, in the category of urban fantasy. Um, and so that's what I'm reading. And okay. um, I can be found on the social medias on the Tiki Talk at Mr. Underscore Blaylock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can be found on Twitter at E.H. Blaylock. And um, we collectively can be found on Twitter at uh, Geek History of Time. And online, we can be found at A Geek History of Time dot com 
Uh, how about you? What are you reading right now? And where can we find you? Well, uh, I actually just picked up the final installment of The Olympians by George O'Connor. Okay, so this is a comic book series that's gone back for, I think, about 10 years. It's the 12th of the Pantheon. It is okay. amazing. The, my favorite is still Hermes, but Dionysus is the last one. And it weaves the story of Vestia and Dionysus together because she stepped down so he could step in. And it is a very heartwarming story. It is it is wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, it's a comic book, uh, graphic novel uh, by George O'Connor. Uh, and I strongly recommend it. It's, okay. it's fantastic. I'm I, fascinated yep. about how anybody can make the story of Dionysus heartwarming. Oh, it's beautiful. It okay, really is. Cool. Yeah. Uh, now I am going to recommend two books uh, in, in uh, as well. Uh, first, I'm going to recommend Punching Nazis uh, and Other Good Ideas by Keith Lowell Jensen, uh, local author here in Sacramento. Uh, he wrote another book as well, and that'll be coming out soon, uh, or it already has, I forget, but Punching Nazis seemed appropriate for uh, the next book I'm going to recommend, which is American Fascism, How the GOP is Subverting Democracy by Bryn Tannehill. Uh, so I highly recommend you go out and pick up that book. And I'm going to let Bryn tell people the best place to get it, because I don't necessarily think that feeding Amazon is the best way to do it. So no, it's not. So uh, Bryn, tell us where you can find that and then uh, tell us what you're reading. So uh, the best place to buy my book is transgresspress.org. Let me double check that I've got. Um, is that Transgress Press? Um, and you can also find it on Google, Google Play. It's also not the best. Um, and what I am reading, yeah, it's transgresspress.org forward slash American dash fascism.html. Um, or transgresspress.org, all one word. And I am working hard on doing the background research for Lit Review for my next book, which I intend to call It Will Happen Here, Life in a Post-Democracy America. So I'm reading um, How Civil Wars Start by Barbara Walter, just finished that. Also have something by Stephen March on uh, Origins of Civil War. Uh, I'm reading It Can Happen Here and It Could Happen Here by Al uh, Alexander Hinton and Jonathan Greenblatt of the ADL. And I'm reading Genocide as a Social Practice by Daniel Firestein. Let it never be said that you don't know how to have a good time, huh? <laughs> Lordy. Uh, I'm going to so... need to go get another beer just hearing the title of what you're reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've never been depressed by a bibliography. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Folks, you can find me on TikTok at DaHarmony1. Uh, there's a hashtag called How I Torture Ed. I strongly recommend you go check it out. You no, can also find me on Twitter and, and Insta at DaHarmony, two H's in the middle. Uh, as Ed said, you can find us both collectively at geekhistorytime.com, uh, where you can find all of our episodes. If not, you if you don't want to go there, you can go to the app, uh, which is the, the Apple podcast app, as well as uh, Stitcher. Uh, you can find us there. Uh, Bryn, uh, if people want to find you on any kind of social media, do they get to or should we just buy books? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter where I'm most active at Bryn Tannehill. It's just B-R-Y-N-N 
T-A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L. Um, nothing particularly fancy there. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, but mostly I just post uh, videos of my Huskies. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, for Geek History of Time, I want to thank you for joining us, Bryn Tannehill. Uh, and I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep punching Nazis. <laughs> <laughs>